welcome to the Recovery Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Miller. I'm a stroke survivor and grateful recovering alcoholic. And today's topic is I can't do it. Um, I'm not accepting something. And because of that, I choose to either say I can't do it or I won't do it. Uh, I don't like it. That's not for me. So that's what I wanted to talk about. Um, I think this, this happens in so many different aspects of our lives. So I wanted to give a couple examples of how, of my experience with it. And we'll see where it goes. Uh, but, but what I was thinking of this morning, when I was thinking of the I don't like it, but I don't even know anything about it, is my daughter not liking mayonnaise. I know that that's a stupid, (laughs) a stupid example, but, uh, but it, it's, it's a simple example of what happens, I think, in life, you know, like my daughter for the longest time would not put mayonnaise on her sandwiches. And I'm like, it, you know, Honey, it really just helps the sandwich go down a lot, helps it glide down better. Um, And she's like, no, I don't like mayonnaise. Or um, she, for years, we're talking till high school, I think, she would not put milk in her cereal. She would eat it, like imagine how dry that is. So all of these, all of these lubricants, she was not using in her life. Well, today she loves mayonnaise and she loves everything that's made with mayonnaise. And she just, for some reason, had a block against it. She didn't want to have anything to do with anything white, right? (laughs) It seems like. Uh, So anyway, um, it's it's a simple example, but but it's so true. Um, And how do you start? getting someone to like mayonnaise you know how do you how do you start getting someone getting yourself to try something um and i've talked about it a lot recently as i've kind of brought in the idea of this higher power and god thing from my sobriety program I've actually started talking about it when I refused to talk about it before. Um, But that is another really good example about acting as if or fake it till you make it idea. And it's really about being willing. And I don't remember, and I should have asked my boyfriend this before the podcast. I don't remember if we tricked her into liking mayonnaise. I think that's what happened. I have a feeling that um, he started giving her foods that he knew that she liked. And then when she was done saying there was mayonnaise in that, and she's like, huh, Um, I think that's how we did it. So I'm not quite sure if willingness (laughs) was a part of that story. But it is part of the story for us as adults, as we pick and choose the things that we are willing to try. And as we struggle with having 
an open mind and we struggle even listening even listening sometimes i'm only listening to what i want to hear i'm only listening to the words that say what i want to hear and all the other stuff i just i don't even hear it um I don't even consider it. It's like if you were to ask me five minutes later, did he say this? I'd be like, I don't know. I didn't hear that. Well, I didn't hear it because I was only listening for what I wanted to hear without considering. Um, and I talked about this in a previous episode about uh, about our opinions and, and how bullheaded I am. So... Um, I also have talked a lot in the podcast about allowing yourself to get messy or getting ugly. And I reference how when my kids were growing up, I, you know, well, when they were babies, I had this promise to myself that I was always going to let my kids get dirty. Um, if they wanted to go to the playground, if they had on their Sunday clothes, uh, quote unquote, which they never did because we didn't go anywhere on Sundays, uh, I would let them get dirty. And coincidentally, when my son was little, when before he could walk, well, he was just learning how to walk. He was, uh, we were outside, it was summertime, and his grandparents lived on this lots and lots of acreage land. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Such beautiful memories I have of, of him running around there, of all of us running around um, on this beautiful grass. But this, my son did not like to touch the grass with his hands. <laughs> so I make this promise to myself that I'm going to let my kids get messy and here's my first child who doesn't want to get messy, doesn't want to touch any, doesn't want to touch the grass, doesn't like getting anything yucky on his hands. Um, well, my, my daughter made up for it later when she was born and she was, I couldn't keep her clean. <laughs> so anyway, I was referencing letting our kids get dirty. And I think that we as we try new things in our lives, have to be willing to get ugly and get dirty and get messy. And I mean that from the outside in. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what that looked like for me and how my progress over the past seven and a half years as I've, as I've been getting sober. I feel like it's a it's a, a continuous process. I'm always going to continue to be getting sober because sober is not just putting a drink down. It's a it's a emotional uh, state of mind also sobriety. So um, how I've gone from where I was when I was just drinking 24-7 and couldn't stop to getting to the point where, um, you know, th that I can have a podcast and talk about my feelings and not be ashamed of it. Like, 
what happened along the way. So there was a lot of imperfection along the way. There was a lot of crying. There was a lot of ugliness. And all of that I have learned as I was starting to reveal those pieces of imperfection and and that stuff that's ugly that I needed to get out of my dark place. Um, that is all room for growth. Like when that stuff comes out to the surface, then it's leaving room inside of me for growth. And when it came to my alcoholism, once I stopped looking for a loophole for my alcoholism, once I was willing to, to take off that protective shell and get messy and get ugly, um, I was willing to start trying my sobriety program. I was going to meetings in my sobriety program for for a few years before I actually um, really heard what I was heard what they were saying. Again, I was I was really only hearing what I wanted to hear. And actually, it might be the opposite. Because I was in this situation where I didn't want to stop drinking, but I knew I had to, I was actually only hearing the things that I didn't want to hear. I was hearing the things that were backing up my reason to say, no, I can't do it, or no, that sobriety program is not for me, you know, um, and once I was, and because of that, I was finding, looking for loopholes where, okay, these people in this room all say that they don't drink and they're all laughing. The only way that people could be laughing the way that they're laughing in this, in this room is if they're drinking, like all these people are high or something. Like, I really did not believe that everybody in there was sober, that they were all liars. That's what I thought. Um, and they weren't. They were actually happy. They were actually full of joy because they had removed all of that ugliness and messiness and imperfection. Not that they're perfect now, but they're willing to show that side of themselves. And what I wasn't aware of when I was sitting in that in those meetings in the beginning before I actually got sober was that all of those people in that room knew each other better than I've ever known anyone. That they were willing to show that messy, ugly, dirty side of them to each other. While I sat in there trying to put this, this, mask on, you know, showing people what I thought they wanted to see. Well, I know now that they could see right through me, that I was leaving there and going and picking up some more wine and drinking. And I'm sure that they saw that I was, you know, calling BS on the whole thing. I'm sure that it was all over my face. And I'm sure of that because I've seen other people come into the program with that same look. 
um, that they're doing everything they can to resist giving it a try. So once I started to become willing uh, to participate, to actually listen to all the words that they're saying instead of just the ones I didn't want to hear to find an excuse for me not to come back, I bought uh, what's called the AA Big Book. And I bought it on Audible. And at that time, I had uh, an hour and a half drive commute to and from work. So I was driving three hours a day. And so I would listen to my big book, uh, to work and from work. And that's a hell of a lot different from what I was doing before that, which was drinking to and from work for an hour and a half. Imagine how dangerous that was for, for everybody on the road with me. So the first time that I heard the stories in the AA Big Book uh, was very different. My perception of those stories was very different than, than what I hear today. Again, it's, it's that I'm choosing. I'm choosing what I want to hear. Depending on my mindset at the time, I'm choosing what I want to hear or I'm choosing what I don't want to hear which is not something I've ever heard anybody say to me. Uh, you're just choosing what you don't want to hear. But it's, it's true. That, that's, that's my thought on this whole um, resisting, like, I don't want to do that or I can't do that because I've internalized this this thought process where I'm just going to find reasons to back the fact that I can't do it or that I don't want to do it or I don't want to try it. So these, these same stories that I hear in the big book today uh, are very different to me. Every time I hear it, um, it's different. I can hear a story about a man, there's one that sticks out in my head right now, the story of a man who had quit drinking and he goes in for lunch to go get a sandwich and he sits down and he asks for a glass of milk and he eats the sandwich and drinks the glass of milk and he decides he's gonna get another sandwich. And then he's thinking, just in a split second, he thinks, I, I'll get some out, some sort of liquor, I can't remember what he had, but um, in his milk and on a full stomach, it's, it won't do anything to him. And then the story proceeds where he ends up having several of those uh, glasses of milk with liquor in them. Well, when I hear that story today, I have a different thought train of thought about it than when I heard it yesterday or the day before. So I can listen to this big book over and over and over again, and it's like a new experience every time. It's almost, it's almost like listening to Big Bang Theory, <laughs> hearing the same episode every, you know, once every three months because we just used to listen to it. There's a marathon on TBS, and we used to listen to it when I was watching TV. 
we would listen to it over and over again the whole season and and we would know all the words even but i'll tell you for me i hear things in, on an episode that i've listened to like six times i'll hear a new a new phrase or a new joke that i have never actually heard before and that's the truth in in my sobriety program as well so um just an open door of willingness and acceptance um and that was only slightly ajar when i started when i first stopped searching for excuses um that door started opening and over time the door of willingness and acceptance has begun to just swing open wider uh, as as time has passed um, and I had to keep showing up so that the door swings wider and wider as I continue to be exposed to the stories in the big book and listening to people's shares and just observing observing these people laughing like I said earlier laughing when I first entered the program and going to these meetings, I thought that they were drunk. Why would anybody be laughing if they weren't drunk like that? These people must be miserable. They don't drink. Well, by observing them over time and continuing to see them laughing and, and feeling joy, I was able to transform my understanding of why they're laughing. They're laughing because of what, of, of what this program is doing for them, that it's cleaning out their dark place, what I call their dark place. So when I walked into the meetings, I also saw there was this pull-up banner in the, in the first meeting that I, that I was going to, and it had all of the steps of the program on it. And when I looked up at the pull-up banner, I would go to this noon meeting, and it was at a this back building for, at a Catholic church. And I would um, look at that pull-up banner, and all I saw in the pull-up banner was God. God this, God that. And I just sat down like, no, this isn't for me. You know, that, that was what I thought. I didn't even look at all the other words in between the word God. I only saw the word God. And it was when I was willing, once again, to do whatever it took to stop drinking, that I saw all the other words on that pull-up banner. And I started seeing words like seeking and coming to believe and life is unmanageable and talk to another person. So I started seeing the nooks and crannies of the steps and I just, I wasn't so hyper-focused on the word God. And the reason why I said nooks and crannies <laughs> is because I made English muffins yesterday. <laughs> they didn't turn out with very many nooks and crannies, but I'm going to try again. Okay, side note. So... The more that I started understanding what those short steps were on that pull-up banner by actually listening to books like the big book, listening to books like the 12 and 12 that defined what all of those steps on that pull-up banner meant, um, that I stopped 
seeing the word God. And instead, I saw hope. Instead, I stopped being so mesmerized and and fearful of the fact that what is my understanding of God today? That day that I was sitting in there and not seeing anything but the word God. I, I stopped being so afraid of having to already have some sort of relationship or belief or faith in God and started to later understand because I got to read all the other words that that word God is just hope. It's an answer. It's part of the answer. And that's what I started seeing. I started seeing that I'm not on the line to become religious. I'm, I'm not on the line to do this perfectly. I get to figure out however the hell I want to do this, whatever's going to work for me, I get to do it that way. Um, and and it, it's only because I was, I had an open mind. It, it was it was only because I just kept watching. I just kept observing what other people were doing. And I don't know why. I, I have no idea how on God's green earth, <laughs> speaking of God, I don't know how I had that open mind. I don't know how I had that willingness. But I'm sure as hell grateful that I did. Because I wouldn't be here today, for sure. I wouldn't be here today if I didn't, uh, if I wasn't gifted with that. Um, however it came about. So, some other examples, <laughs> uh, straying away from, from the program for a minute. Some other examples of things that I thought I didn't like or couldn't like because I was not educated enough to give it a try, okay? <laughs> I'm straying very far away from the program. Kebabs, okay? Kebabs. I don't know if you like kebabs, but I never liked kebabs. I refused to do the kebab thing my whole life. Until, so my boyfriend's Persian, so guess what? I'm going to eat kebabs whether I like it or not because this is a celebration food a lot of times. Um, we have a lot of kebabs. So I didn't like kebabs. If somebody were to say, do you like kebabs? I'd be like, no, I'll just, I'll get something else. Well, I didn't like kebabs because I didn't know how to eat kebabs. I had no idea that there is a way to eat kebabs that make them amazing. And why was I willing to learn how to eat the kebabs? Because I loved my boyfriend, right? 
So that's what gave me the willingness. So the answer to eating a kebab is that you have the the onion and I um it's like onion and tomato and maybe cilantro and I'm probably wrecking this recipe but anyway it's in one of those little salads you put that chop that all that up and mix it all together with a little like maybe lime juice I don't know that sounds a little more Mexican anyway you know what I'm saying though a salad like that and that oh cucumber yeah so uh maybe no lime juice anyway <laughs> um and then so you have a little bit of that a little bit of uh the kebab meat and a little bit of rice and there's something else the tomato the yeah i can't think of it anyway you get a little bit of everything on your plate on a spoon and you eat it that way so what i was doing was i was eating just the meat with a fork eating just the just the um rice with the fork and then just the salad well you're actually supposed to eat it all together and wouldn't you know it kebabs are my favorite meal now and that's amazing to me the willingness though came from me wanting to nurture like you know thinking silly that well i want to have a better relationship or whatever you know i want to be able to sit down and eat with my boyfriend and eat something that he loves so i learned i was willing to learn and now i love kebab so there's your example and um another example cleaning i used to hate to clean um i remember you're gonna laugh at this i remember when I had my son and uh, his father and I were living in this condo <laughs> and we're already learning how to like, you know, do this whole baby thing. Well, I was setting off to like clean the house and I'm cleaning the, the bathroom, which is disgusting, right? I mean, it wasn't terribly disgusting, but it was disgusting to me being the first time I've ever cleaned a bathroom. Anyway, I'm cleaning the bathroom and I look at the toilet and, and I'm like kind of cleaning around the floor and I was like, wait a minute, who cleans behind the toilet? <laughs> well, I'm supposed to clean behind the toilet. I never in all of my years considered the fact that somebody had to clean behind the toilet. So thanks, mom. I had no idea that anybody was cleaning back there because that's how blind I am. Anyway, I hated cleaning until as I've gotten older, I started getting the right tools for the job. And there's all these fancy cleaning things now. And I wear rubber gloves now, which I never even imagined a thought about. Somebody said it once to me, like, do you wear gloves to clean the toilet? And I was like, no, I've never even thought about that. And so now I wear rubber gloves when I clean and I don't mind cleaning anything. So I actually really enjoy cleaning now. So again, the willingness was because I wanted to use cool new cleaning supplies. That's where the willingness was. Um, 
And then the last example I have is baking. So in my recovery from my stroke, my sister and my boyfriend had recommended that I bake. And to both of them, I said, no, I don't want to bake. No, I don't like to bake. No, that won't be good for my head. You know, well, now, you know, all I had to do was try it. You know, try to make one thing. And so the willingness came from inviting some friends over and and cook and baking with them. That's what I wanted to do. I added a, um, I think somebody recommended it to me, probably my boyfriend. <laughs> he hates that he never gets credit for coming up with these ideas. But anyway, um, inviting my friends over and we cooked pretzels. And just adding that part of it made me willing to do it. And now I bake every week, like twice a week. Uh, yesterday I made um, an amazing, my best sourdough loaf ever, and some English muffins. And I've been making, I made danishes, I've, I've been making all kinds of stuff. And so I love it now. And it just took me you know, a little willingness. I needed to add something that I really liked to the equation. And turns out I love to bake. So doing something that you believe you can't do, but you always wanted to do. So here's a different perspective. So um, I have been talking about things that, um, that you don't want to do. Now this is the uh, this is the other end of the spectrum. This is doing things you believe you can't do but you always wanted to do. So ask yourself what happened in your life that makes you think you can't do it. And you will most likely find that there is some event in your life that happened that made you, that convinced you you'll never be able to do it. Um, and what I, I think the easiest one for me to reference is quitting smoking. So I smoked for years. I started smoking in high school with this boyfriend that I had and then I never quit after that. It was like, I wanted to be like him or I wanted, same thing about the kebab. It's the same situation as the kebabs, <laughs> only it was smoking. Anyway, um, I started learning how to smoke and it was all over after that. And I smoked for years and um, I had tried to quit smoking over and over and over again and I, and I couldn't stop. So I stopped trying. I just, you know, I learned that I can't do it. And throughout our lives, the only thing keeping us from trying again to do something that we don't think we can do is our own learned belief that we can't do it. So smoking was one for me. Drinking was a huge one for me because I did try to stop drinking. I remember one time I went out my brother was living in Reno, which is, he was my boss, and um, I would go out there every quarter. Well, 
he was really kind of getting on me about drinking. I was drinking too much, and he was concerned about me. So I decided I wasn't going to drink. I had a really bad situation the time that I had gone to fly to see him before, like three months before. So this time I was going to go see him, and I wasn't going to drink. And um, uh, I think at some point in the evening, he said he was going to have a drink. And then I was like, well, if you're going to drink, I'm going to drink. And then that was it. That was it. So it was another, I can't do it, you know, um, because I just didn't believe that I could. There's so many times that I had tried and I couldn't do it. So I didn't think I would ever be able to do it. And then running a 5K, that was one that I thought I couldn't do. But I always wanted to do it. I always wanted to be able to say I could run a 5K. And I did. I ended up starting to run like three or four or five Ks a week. But it started with just literally taking a step. I start, I, I've talked about this before. How did I learn how to run a 5K? I started by walking one minute and running one minute. Walking one minute and running one minute. And I did that for... Um, three miles. I, I think I did it for like only 10 minutes and then I walked the rest of the, the way. And I did that for a week. And then the next week I ran two minutes and walked one minute. And I did that for like 12 minutes. Like I started adding the amount of time that I was running, uh, to the front end and then over time I was running for longer distances and then I ended up running for the entire three miles. Now how long did that take? I mean you can add it up on a calculator or in your head if you're a math major like me. <laughs> I probably couldn't even do it. Uh, but it took it took months for me to do that but I ended up running them you know to uh, three or four times a week. It was, it was amazing. And it just took this willingness. It, it took courage, courage is, is what it took. You know, how do we change that self-talk from, I can't do it. You know, I've never been able to do it, so I can't do it. That's, my identity. My identity is that I can't do that thing, whatever it is. How do we change from saying that to standing up and saying, I'm going to try it? Even though I know last time I tried it, I couldn't do it. Even though I know that I've tried it three times and I couldn't do it, you still get up and try it again. What, how do you do that? Like, what, what makes somebody be able to change that self-talk? And I sat and, and thought about what it was for me. And for me, it took what I was going to lose was worse than what I was afraid of facing. 
So I had to be courageous to take a step forward, even though I might fall. I knew I was going to fall. I knew when I started this journey of getting sober that I wasn't going to be perfect at it. I knew that I was going to have bad days. I knew that, on the other hand, if I didn't try to do it, I certainly never would be able to do it, right? We can't do it if we don't try. And I had to be okay with failing again. And the first time I did fail again, I went to detox, I came out, two months later I started drinking again for eight months and, um, and I was off to the races again for eight months until my daughter said, it's okay to try again. And I went back to detox again. So I didn't go to detox the first time thinking, okay, you're going to go, you're probably going to fail. So just do it and fail. Like I, I, I go all in, I'm going thinking that this is going to be it. Um, but I didn't, take all of the suggestions that were given to me. I picked and chose what I thought I needed in order to stay sober. To, I picked what I thought I needed to not drink, not to stay sober. At that time, I didn't really understand the difference between not drinking and being sober. Um, and they're very different. You know, you can't be sober without, you can't be sober without not drinking. That's two negatives. You, you can't be sober if you're drinking, uh, but you, wow, this is going to be a challenging one. You can't be, so, work with me here, people. You can't be sober if you're drinking but you can't drink. No, I don't think either angle that you look at that with is gonna work. So uh, if you aren't drinking, that doesn't mean that you're sober. It just means that you're not putting alcohol in your body. Being sober is, is also an emotional, mental, and physical state. It's being able to live life with joy and serenity and hope. So this, this way that we try to do things and we fail and then we get up and we do it again, we get courage and we get up and we do it again, that's the experience part of experience, strength, and hope. So I always say I like to share my experience, strength, and hope. The first part, the experience, that's the ugly, messy, dirty failures that I had before I got to where I am now. That's the experience part. 
when I eventually got to do the thing that I didn't think I could do, that was the strength part. And now when I get to sit on this podcast and I get to share with you that dirty, yucky, messy, terrible failure stuff, and then I get to continue the story on to say, well, eventually I could do it. And this is how. The fact that I get to sit here and share that with you, that's the hope part. So that's the experience, strength, and hope. 20 years ago in my life, people would say to me, I'll believe it when I see it. If I said I was going to quit smoking, if I said I was going to go out and, uh, and I don't know, whatever, whatever I wanted to do, I'm going to go get this job or I'm going to make this craft or something. I would have some people in my life that would say, I'll believe it when I see it. So this is really, really important. I'm passionate about this. Please don't ever say to someone, especially someone who is struggling with an addiction, I'll believe it when I see it. Because it doesn't work. Whatever it is you're trying to do to tell them you know, that you're discouraged because they've tried and tried and it's, they're, they're not, you know, succeeding. Saying, I'll believe it when I see it, is absolutely not going to help them succeed. And I have had this happen to me over my life. But today, people say this to me. This is incredible. People say this to me. Knowing you, Rachel, you'll be able to do it. Or not only that, now people say, you'll be amazing at it, Rachel. Or I knew you could do it. Or even still, and my favorite that I've been getting recently is, you're an inspiration. I mean, what in the world happened? It's like, one day, I was looking at myself in the mirror thinking I was dying. I was dying. I was dying from the inside out. And today, I have people telling me that I'm an inspiration. What happened? You know, what changed? And I'll tell you, I walked right into my fear. Not because I wanted to, because I had to. The thing that I couldn't do, the thing that I, not only did I think maybe I couldn't do it, I knew I couldn't do it. I did not, I, I that I could stop drinking. I really did not believe that I could stop drinking. It, it's just fascinating to me that I was able to achieve something that I didn't believe I could do. You know, when does that happen? 
you know, I got, I got ugly. I got very ugly and it hurt a lot. It was very painful, but I was more fearful about what I could lose than what I had to face. That's how I got here. So thanks for listening to the Recovery Daily Podcast to connect with me online. And please do. I would love to connect with you online. Find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Or you can visit recoverydailypodcast.com. The best, best way that you can help is to share, like, and follow and comment if there's anything that you'd like to add or some thoughts about the, uh, the episode. If this topic resonated with you, please share it with a loved one. And thanks for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow.